Well, good morning. It is a great joy to be with you this morning. Honestly, there's no place I'd rather be than spending this first day of the new year worshiping with you, my fellow brothers and sisters, as we praise and as we pray and hear the word of God together. Today I'll be going over Psalm chapter 1, but before I do, let me give you a very brief overview of the book of Psalms. Psalm in Hebrew is entitled Praises, and this book is composed of 150 individual psalms made up of various poems, prayers, and songs. And if there is some themes within this book, it is the hope of the Messianic kingdom, the hope of the Messianic king, Jesus Christ, and the overarching theme, which is the praise of God. With that in mind, let us come to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are deaf without you, and we are blind without you. Lord, we pray at this time that you would open up our eyes, O oh Lord. Help us to see your words. Help us to see your grandeur. Help us to, Lord, um, soften our hearts, O oh Lord, that we may worship and praise your glorious name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please open up with me to Psalm chapter 1. And once you get there, just leave the Bible opened uh, there because we're going to be constantly referring to that passage. So Psalm chapter 1. Listen along as I read. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Throughout history, labels have been used to identify groups of people, Northerners, Southerners, Republicans, Democrats, conservatives, liberals, Mets fans, Yankee fans. <laughs> Just joking. Um, even within our Christian circles, there are various labels that are used. However, in the ways of God, there are two primary ways in which God sees us or identifies us by that we need to pay the most attention to. And I hope by the end of this message that not only will you know those ways, but most importantly, you would appropriately respond either in praise and or repentance, a turning from sin and a turning to God. 
With that in mind, there are three themes that I'll be discussing from this chapter, which are point one, the way of the blessed, point two, the way of the wicked, and point three, the destiny that awaits them. So point one, the way of the blessed. So let's begin by observing the way of the blessed. In verse one, it starts by saying, blessed is a man. Let's pause right there and define what it means to be blessed. For we live in a time where we have downplayed the word blessed as we have downplayed the word love. In our days, it is common for people on social media to write hashtag blessed or in conversation to use that word when describing their nice homes, nice families, or even a nice meal that they're about to eat. In and of itself, I would say there's nothing wrong with having a nice home, nice family, or a good meal to eat. But how blessed is used here in this chapter goes way beyond the material possession or gift that one receives. I would even say that you can have all those things and more, but still not be blessed. Listen to how one commentary defines blessed in verse 1. Blessed for the individual, it means a deep-seated joy and contentment in God. A deep-seated joy and contentment in God. Hold on to that definition as we further look into the way of the blessed man. In verse 1, it opens by telling us what the blessed man does not do, rather than telling us what the blessed man does do. It says that the blessed man does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. The word walk is often used in scripture to mean how you live your life. Pastor Mike Chang shared with us this meaning when going over Colossians 2.6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. A verse calling us to live a life of submission to the lordship of Christ. So in the context of today's verse, the blessed man's way of life or how he lives his life is not directed by the advice or counsel that he receives from the wicked. He does not make life choices by worldly thoughts, traditions, or false teachings. He is not governed by the newest fads or popular beliefs of the time. Colossians 2.8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. However, brothers and sisters, these ad- counsels, advice that ultimately goes against God and his words, does not come often with a glaring neon sign that says, danger, danger, danger. But no, these counsels often come in covertly, sneakily, hidden. Martin Luther, in regards to the verse, says, but David does not here say, in the folly of the ungodly or in the error of the ungodly. It says in our verse, in the counsel of the wicked. Martin Luther continued, therefore he admonishes us to guard with all diligence 
against the appearance of what is right. See, these advices from the wicked can appear to come with good intentions. They can come from people you listen to who might be kind, witty, charismatic, attractive, wealthy, famous, influencers, and or powerful. But we must be able to discern, is what they're saying in line with the word of God? But how will you know if you are not in the word of God? Brothers and sisters, may I encourage us to mature in Christ, being rooted in his words so that we may not be led astray. Ephesians 4.14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Let's move on to the next act that the blessed man does not do in verse 1. He does not stand in the way of sinners. To stand describes a character that is fixed, decided, firm in the way of life one has chosen. So to stand in our context describes the blessed man as a man who is not fixed on his sins or a man who does not want to be corrected or turn away from his sins. But this man's desire is to be holy, set apart from sin, but most importantly, set apart for God. And when the verse says, in the way of sinner, this implies that this man will not look for other sinners that he can be gathered to and join in sin with. It's alarming and painful when I look back at my life, remembering the life of sin that I used to live, the ways in which I would justify my sin, the ways in which I would excuse my sin, the people that I've hurt because of my sins, and also looking for others that I could sin with. However, more amazing is that when God took a hold of my life, he gave me a new heart, a heart that desires not to justify or excuse sin, but a heart that continues to grow in repentance and a desire not to be joined to sinners in sin. Let me be clear. I am not saying to be a blessed man, one needs to dissociate from the world, for we are sent into the world with a purpose. Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. But at the same time, as we are sent out into the world, we must be careful that we don't fall into the sins of the world and become just like the world. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Lastly, from these verses, what the blessed man does not do, he does not sit in the seat of scoffers. Martin Luther writes, with respect to the term seat, to sit in the seat is to teach, to act the instructor and teacher. So the man who sits in the seat of scoffer is the man who teaches others to sin, to mock the ways of God, and to mock God himself. 
The man's heart has become so seared that there is no fear of God. Their conscience so dulled, they continue in their insanity. And they are but another tool that Satan uses to lead others astray. We do not need to look far to find these teachers. They can be found in our families, our workplaces, professors in schools, politicians, people in the media, or we as well can be sitting in the seat. But the blessed man will not dare to sit in that seat. He will fear the Lord instead, because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And as one fears the Lord in reverence, in awe, and knowing that the Lord is also the Lord of wrath, one would be wise never to sit in that seat. So as we just went over what the blessed man doesn't do, the sins that he abstains from and avoids, did you notice the progressive nature of sin that was associated with walking, standing, and sitting? Charles Spurgeon, when commenting on the progression of sins from this verse, these verses, puts it this way. When men are living in sin, they go from bad to worse. At first, they merely walk in the counsel of the careless and ungodly who forget God. The evil is rather practical than habitual. But after that, they become habituated to evil and they stand in the way of open sinners who willfully violate God's commandments. And if, let alone, they go one step further and become themselves pestilent teachers and tempters of others, and thus they sit in the seat of the scornful. You see, no sin in our lives should be taken lightly. For sin does not remain passive. It does not remain neutral. If not properly addressed, it continues to draw us further from God. As John Owen, a Puritan theologian, writes, Sin's expression is modest in the beginning, but once it has gained a foothold, it continues to take further ground and presses on to greater heights. This advance of sin keeps the soul from seeing that it is drifting from God. Let us remember the ways of David and Bathsheba, Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve. David allowed his sins of lust to lead him into adultery and murder. Cain allowed his jealousy to murder his brother. And Adam and Eve allowed themselves to be tempted to be like God, so they disobeyed God's commands and because of their disobedience, they brought on the curse of sin and death to mankind. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Do not take any sin lightly. Do not let it take root in your life. Properly turn away from it and pray that God would help you through his Holy Spirit. A good resource you can look into as well on how to properly deal with sin is John Owen's book, The Mortifications of Sin. So we've just explored 
what the blessed man doesn't do from our verses. Now let's explore what the blessed man does do. It says in verse 2, but his delight, his happiness, his pleasure, the way in which his heart is bent is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. The law being mentioned here, some believe it to refer to the Ten Commandments or the five books of the Torah, but ultimately this word law refers to God's revelation through his words, as described by Pastor James Montgomery Boyce. See, the law of God reveals who God is. It reveals his holiness, his mercy, his judgment, his redemptive plan, his promises, and I do not have enough time to tell you all the wonders about God that it mentions. So may I encourage you, look for yourself and get to know our marvelous God. This blessed man who delights in God's words is said to meditate on this law day and night not merely skimming or glancing over the word, but intently looking into it, storing it in his heart, thinking, pondering, praying, and applying the word throughout his day. John Gill, a pastor in regards to meditation, states this is to be understood of a diligent reading and serious consideration of it and of the employment of the thoughts and of deep study Upon it, in order to find out the sense and meaning of it, and which is to be done constantly, every day, as often as there is leisure and opportunity for it. What springs forth of this man who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates day and night? It says in verse 3 He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, that yields its fruit in its season. Because the man who delights and meditates on God's word, when seasons of trials comes his way, he will trust in the sovereignty and goodness of the Lord. James 1, 2-3, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. When seasons of joy and good comes his way, he will yield praises to God and not praises to himself, for he recalls that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. James 1, verse 17. And it is said that this tree, this man, his leaf does not wither. Spurgeon, in regards to this verse, says this about the man. His faintest word shall be everlasting. His little deeds of love shall be had in remembrance. The person who is rooted in God's words will speak words and will act in ways that will have everlasting effect. If we look around during this season, most of the leaves on trees have withered, fallen, and died. However, there are 
still trees like the evergreen tree, which continues to appear vivid and alive through the change of season and harshest of storms. Are you like the evergreen tree? Vivid, alive, bearing fruit during the changes of season in your life. What happens when storms of life comes your way? Take a deep look into your life and see what it is that you're rooted in. I hope this line of question doesn't seem to be detached or insensitive. As I've been praying through this week's prayer request for our church, I know there are many who are going through various trials and difficulties. Me and my family as well are going through our season. However, some of the ways that have helped me most during this week was praying that God would help me to walk in his spirit, praying that God would help me to abide in Christ, and praying that God would help me to be rooted in his words. Dear saints, press on, press on, trust in him, and be rooted in his words. It is our God who is our great deliverer, and it is his words that will guide and lead our ways. Lastly, what springs forth of this man who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates day and night? It says at the end of verse 3, in all that he does, he prospers. This prosperity does not mean that for those who meditate on God's word, they will not become sick or not go through failure or not grow through financial difficulties. But the man who meditates will know that all things are working itself out for their good and God's glory. Romans 8.28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Romans 11.36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Amen. Point two, the way of the wicked. Now that we've gone over the way of the blessed, let's move on to the way of the wicked. This will take less time because in verse four, it says that the wicked are not so. The wicked are not so. And from this statement, you can infer that everything we just read about the blessed man, about this verse, will be in direct contrast to the wicked man. The wicked will continue to walk, stand, and sit in the ways of sin. He will not delight in the law of the Lord, but he will find the word of God to be oppressive, outdated, foolish, and or even despise the word of God. The fruits that he bears in his life will not be about trusting and praising or glorifying God. Rather, he will believe whatever just happened was because of his effort or chance or karma or the universe or whatever philosophy or beliefs that he has chosen to believe in rather than the one and true God. His ways 
his accomplishments will not be everlasting, but will one day wither, fall, and die. The wicked man, by the world's definition, might prosper by having good health, riches, fame, and or success. But if these or anything else draws one further away from God, it is no prosperity at all. Matthew 16, verse 26, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? The wicked is not like the tree planted by streams of water, and it will be fitting if the author wrote a direct contrast statement by saying, the wicked is like a tree rooted in dry ground. Instead, to further highlight the difference between the blessed and the wicked, the author, through divine inspiration, says that the wicked man is like chaff that the wind drives away. Chaff is a seed covering that is separated from the edible part of the grain through a process called threshing. The chaff is considered to be useless or worthless. During this time when there was no threshing machines, farmers would have to take the grain that was mixed with the chaff and throw it up into the air. The light chaff will be blown away by the wind, and the grain would drop down to the ground to be used for its purpose. So the wicked man is described to be like this useless or worthless chaff. And when one day, when death comes his way, he will be forever driven away from God. Point three, the destiny that awaits them. So we've gone over the way of the blessed, the way of the wicked. Now, what is the destiny that awaits them? Verse 5, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. One day there will be a day of judgment. And on this day, the wicked will have nothing to stand on to make him right before God. His status, his good works, his accomplishments, all will be worthless. None of those acts or achievements will save him. He will no longer be mixed with those that God has declared as righteous because the wicked will be forever separated from God and his saints. Verse 6, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish. For the blessed, the destiny that awaits him is that the Lord will know his way, meaning the Lord will love and approve of this blessed man. And on judgment day, the blessed man will be the only one that can stand before the Lord, but the wicked will be forever sent to hell to perish with his, with his ambitions and plans. Some of you might not have heard Nick Sabato's message a couple of months ago. When he last spoke, some of us were at the Ocean City Bible Conference, but Nick gave a message that week on Matthew chapter 13 
going over the parable of the weeds. If you haven't or have, I highly do recommend you go back and hear that message because he gives a very clear and helpful explanation of this separation that will one day come. The separation between the wheat and the weed, the church and the world, and in our context, the righteous and the wicked. Earlier I mentioned there are two primary ways in which God sees us and that we need to pay the most attention to. And those ways are, does God identify you to be righteous or does God identify you to be wicked? And as we've come to the end of this chapter, we are left with a big question and a big problem. The question is, how is one considered righteous before God? And the big problem is that in Romans 3, verse 10 through 11, says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together, they have become worthless. You see, in one way or another, we have all walked in the counsel of the wicked or stood in the way of sinners or sat in the seat of scoffers. We have not delighted in God or in his words. We should be considered to be the worthless chaff. And on the day of judgment, God would be just to send us all to hell. For we, in one way or another, have offended a holy God. So what hope did any of us have? I believe the key is found in verse 3, where it says, The blessed man is like a tree planted by streams of water. Planted by streams of water. Planted implies that this tree has an owner who uprooted it from its natural state and placed it by streams of water to be continuously supplied for. The tree did nothing on its own. It was fully dependent on the mercy of the one who planted it. And we, like the tree, need the owner who is God to have mercy on us, to uproot us from our natural state of sin and death and death and plant us by these streams of water. These streams, as Spurgeon says, are the rivers of pardon, the rivers of grace, the rivers of the promise, and the rivers of the communion with Christ are our never-failing source of supply. And God was merciful. He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, into this world, who never walked, stood, or sat in the ways of sin. Not only did he delight in all the laws of the Lord, he was the fulfillment of the law. And the sinless Son of God, who lived the perfect life, went to the cross, took on the wrath of God, and died on that cross for the sins that we committed against our holy God. And for those who believe in him, 
they are given a new life where no longer we are considered wicked, but righteous, because it is the righteousness of Christ that covers us. And in this new life, we are no longer separated from God. We are so united with him that we can bear fruit for his glory. John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Earlier, we defined what it meant to be blessed, which was to have a deep-seated joy and contentment in God. For those who are rooted in the word of God, you will read the state that you were in before Christ. You will read what Christ has done for you, and you will read what Christ will continuously do as he reigns as our marvelous king. And by this, you will have a deep-seated joy and contentment in God. Let's finish with some applications and questions. First, for the believer, are you spending time meditating on the word of God? If not, pray that God would help you through his Holy Spirit to grant you a greater desire to read his words so that you can know him, to know what pleases him, what displeases him, what matters most to him, what are the ways in which you can live to glorify and honor him. We live in a time where there is so much that is fighting for our attention and time. The next swipe on your social media page, the next show to binge on on Netflix, the next video game to be engulfed in, the next sports season to be absorbed in, and whatever trending topic to be consumed by. But brothers and sisters, let us not waste our lives. Let us make the most use of our times and learn to give God our best each day as we seek him through his words and in prayer. Some of you might be in the habit of making resolutions on this day. Jonathan Edwards, considered by some to be the greatest theologian, between the ages of 18 and 19, started to write down guidelines that he wanted to live by, which he called his resolutions. One of his resolutions reads, resolved never to lose one moment of time but improve it the most profitable way I possibly can. Never to lose one moment of time, but improve it the most profitable way I possibly can. Edwards was a man who was resolved not to waste or squander his time, but to make the most use of it for the glory of God. Ephesians 5, 15 to 16. Look carefully, then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Also, a practical way that you can meditate on God's word day and night 
is also by memorizing Scripture. When Psalm 1 was written, most likely there was no book to carry around. There was no Bible app to open on your phone. But to hold onto Scripture, one needed to commit themselves to memorizing the Word. I'm extremely thankful for the carpenter shop, its teachers, pastors, Madison, Mickey, Freeze Valley, Blaze, Eagle, Daisy, I'm glad Jupiter's here. Each one of them help our children through catchy songs and repetitions to memorize the Word of God. And it is adorable to see our little ones repeating word for word these Bible verses. But I believe one of the hopes of why this church encourages from the youngest to the oldest to memorize Scripture is so that we can store the Word of God in our hearts to meditate on them and be able to recall and to be able to recall them and live them out. One of the clearest examples of how important it is to store up God's word is when Satan tried to tempt Jesus in the wilderness, Christ combated each temptation by saying, it is written, it is written, it is written. Now for those who are here who are not believers, I hope from this sermon you don't walk away thinking that you can make yourself right before God by trying to avoid sin, which is good, by the way. Or that you can be right before God by reading the word of God or committing yourself to reading the Bible in a year, which also is good, but it won't save you. Just as a tree cannot uproot itself and walk itself over to a stream of water, you can do nothing on your own to save yourself. You need to be born again. You need to be born from above. God needs to have mercy on your soul. And if God is convicting you at this time, cry out for God's mercy. Cry out for his gift of faith and repentance. 2 Corinthians 6.2, for he says, In a favorable time, I listen to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Do not wait. You do not know if tomorrow is given to you. You do not know if the next hour is given to you. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lastly, church, will you yield your fruits in its season? Pastor Ed, a couple of weeks ago when going over Judges 19, said he wouldn't be surprised if things in our nation would continue to become worse as we move further and further away from the ways of God. And as we see this trend coming, and as we hear the various counsels of this world, and as we see sinners continuing to progress in sin, as it is written in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, 
The gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. Remember, we were all once on that path, and there are still many on that path. Will you, church, be a light unto this falling world? Will you be ready to proclaim the word of God, pointing others to Christ, pleading for their souls, or will you just watch? May it not be so. Romans 10, 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Do not be dismayed. God will call forth his elect. They have been bought by the blood of Christ. So may we be found trusting and faithful, being rooted in Christ, being rooted in his words, being prepared with the gospel, the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, help us at this time, for we are in great need of you. We pray that your words would bear much fruit, that you would protect us against the enemy, that sinners would turn from sin and believe in you, and that your church will delight and desire to be in your word, and that above all, your name will be praised and glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.